Before you listen in, we'd like to warn you that this podcast does contain explicit language. I mean, body image is very hard. (laughs) It's just fucking hard. And it's hard, you know, whether I'm looking at social media or not. Have you ever looked in the mirror and realized that you don't look like yourself? I was doing my typical morning routine the other day when it hit me that I don't look at all the way I think I look. Like, I see myself pretty much every day as part of that morning routine. So, you know, I know what I look like, but I guess my mental picture of myself stopped loading at some point in my mid-20s when I had bleach blonde hair instead of brown, was significantly skinnier, and wore this winged eyeliner every day. Body image is strange like that. Even before my recent revelation, it is something that I and most people that I know constantly struggle with. This week on It's Generational, we're diving into the sometimes unnerving, sometimes uplifting topic of body image with our multi-generational panel. We've got insight from baby boomer anchor Jim Taylor of KCBS Radio in San Francisco, Gen X astrologer and psychic medium Jessica Lanyadu, and two millennial Gen Z cuspers, journalist Nick F. Anderson, a student at the Craig Newmark School of Journalism, and Harris Mojadidi, assistant dean at the University of California, Berkeley. So I started struggling with body image before social media was even a thing. Um, I was chubby as a kid, but I didn't realize I was chubby. I was teased for being hairy first. Um, Most of the hair had fallen out now. I don't understand how that works. But when I was a child, I was very, very hairy. My parents will tell anyone who listens, when I was born, I was born with a back full of hair and a head full of hair. Yes, but it all fell out. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But anyways. And then once I realized that I was on the heavier side and kids were teasing me, I, I remember the first diet I went on, I was on, I was in fifth grade. That's like what, 10 years old, 11 years old. This Facebook wasn't even a thing. Um, and then there was like that cycle, you know, Weight Watchers, the South Beach diet, drink lemon water, the whole, all of this stuff that does not work. And that's when those the diet culture is really what walked me into a life of disordered eating. And it's hard, you know, whether I'm looking at social media or not. And body image is, you know, about so many things, including like I'm just teetering on the edge of 50. So I'm like, you know, I'm in the world aging on my face and such. So, you know, one thing I started to do when I got, I was kind of late to get a a smartphone. One thing I started to do was just to make sure that I was following really varied accounts with different kinds of bodies. And I tried to be really thoughtful about that so that I wasn't just looking at the, any one kind of body because in, I think it was the early 2000s, it was the time of like um, really skinny terribly tanned white girls wearing like crop tops. Those crop tops were longer than the current fashion. And then the really low slung jeans. And it was just like an eating disorder, carnicopia. It was tragedy. And it's like, I see it coming back, this like excessive skinniness. And it's just, it is, I mean, it's so hard to be healthy in an unhealthy world, in an unhealthy system. And I don't really know if I have anything terribly smart to say about it, but I just thought, you know, it's, you know, it's all terrible. (laughs) I'm not kidding when I say that the return of those low-rise jeans is one of my worst fears. They were awful. Back in the early 2000s, 
probably 2005. I was definitely in middle school. I remember trying on a pair in the searing, unforgiving light of an express dressing room. After a lot of pulling and stomach sucking, I felt exhausted and helpless, unable to fit into this perfectly flat-stomached idea of what I thought I should look like. My best friend was in the next fitting room, and I knocked on the door to tell her I was about ready to escape, and I found her crying. Apparently, I wasn't alone in the land of body image doldrums. Pretty soon, I was crying too, and we left the mall mascara-stained and pretty drained. Low-rise jeans might have set us off that day, but they're just one of the many triggers that can set off body image issues. Body image is something I struggle with so much as a gay man, and I think I can look at it through several different lenses and angles. So I came out later in life, y'all. Like, I, I come from a, I'm the child of refugees from Afghanistan. I'm Muslim, and I'm gay, and those are, like, some hard identities to hold together. And, um, you know, growing up, at least until... I'd say my early to mid twenties. I didn't. I don't think that I necessarily struggled with body image. Maybe I was just in denial, repressing my sexual orientation. But from the moment that I really was in alignment with who I was, my sense of self and my sense of worth are very much tied into body image. It's something that is so prevalent in the gay community, at least. Probably, I mean, and I, I want to say wholesale gay community, if there's a looks-based community, if there's a body-conscious community, it is gay men. I mean, I will see men that are like as fit as they can be, saying they're pudgy, saying they're fat, um, who we idolize in the gay community, who... Uh, who we elevate, who has power, who has worth, who has dignity is all tied to body image. And not only that, but it's it's body image associated with the white man and the white male physique. And that is sort of the rank. And if you're like me, you know, a bigger guy that's brown, uh, you're a more you're on you're on the the lower end of the the spectrum or or of of what's desirable of of who who has worth who can who can enter a room and speak and that's something I really struggle with a lot and uh, I'm trying to find out ways to combat it. You know, I'm really uh, I'm, I, I try to remind myself every day that you know I belong in these spaces too. I belong in these. Uh, and, and gay spaces. And, and the irony of it is I'm, I'm a huge LGBTQ plus advocate too. And, uh, and so I, tr- and so I both feel very proud of my identity in the spaces that I'm in because it's important to have representation from, you know, skin color, religion, size, and it's still a struggle. And, 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 and I think it's very prevalent. You know, I went from one end of not eating to overeating and the weight gain, it was just a cycle. It was a vicious cycle. I still struggle with it to this day because, you know, like Harris was saying, being skinny is pretty much the requirement almost. That's how it feels, Um, especially for non-binary people. You know, non-binary people are supposed to be like super androgynous, super skinny, body like a plank. And that is not my body type whatsoever. I have a full chest. I have a large behind, and that's that's fine. Dr. Kira Mahan, a research fellow who studies body image interventions for young people at University College Dublin, joined me to explain what research has revealed about body image. One of the things I asked her was about how the LGBTQ plus community is impacted in particular. 
So I suppose this has been a more recent area of research. Um, so we still are learning a lot about how the LGBTQ plus community experience their body image. But I suppose we do see that gender minorities and sexual minorities do experience body image differently to cisgender and heterosexual counterparts. In particular, we see, let's say, when we look at sexual minority groups that gay and bisexual men tend to report higher levels of body dissatisfaction and eating disorders and also greater drives for both leanness or thinness and muscularity uh, compared with uh, kind of their heterosexual counterparts. And so this is thought to be linked with kind of unique or distinct appearance subcultures within these kind of sexual minority groups where the kind of lean and muscular body is valued to a greater extent. We see in the research around uh, sexual minority women that it's a lot more mixed. So some studies find that sexual minority women, such as like lesbian and bisexual women, experience more body image concerns some uh, than heterosexual women. Some find that they experience the same levels and some find that they experience less. So it's, there's quite a lot of mixed research out there. But again, they're, uh, they're kind of the body image concerns that are experienced by sexual minority groups and gender minority groups are often linked with these kind of distinct appearance subcultures. So the aspects of appearance that are valued within that subculture, but also they uniquely experience discrimination and kind of what we call sexual minority stress or gender minority stress. So this is kind of experiencing kind of the stress from being treated differently because of your sexual or gender orientation. And so experiencing this kind of discrimination or prejudice can have negative impacts on mental health and and physiological health and this is linked also with body image so they're kind of experiencing body image uniquely in terms of their cultural groups but also this kind of additional uh, kind of pressure of stigma and discrimination which can influence body image so an example of this might be seen kind of with bisexual women who are thought to be at increased risk of body image concerns at least this is what we found in our research here in ireland um and this has been linked with kind of their experience of biphobia and the pressure to kind of conform with or kind of navigate between heterosexual norms and also bisexual or, or kind of the sexual minority groups. So kind of navigating that balance between the two groups um, and kind of experiencing discrimination and, and uh, related to their kind of sexual orientation. So this is kind of some of the ways in which uh, body image may be experienced differently among the LGBTQ plus community. And we see kind of similarly with kind of gender minority groups, transgender, there can often be heightened body image concerns as well, but those groups um, as well linked with similar kind of uh, themes. Body issues also manifest differently based on racial and ethnic identity. In her 2020 book, Fearing the Black Body, Sabrina Strings detailed how fat phobia and racism are linked over a 200-year period. Mahan discussed the work of another researcher who has extensively explored how body image issues play out among different ethnic groups. So Dr. Jennifer Webb, she's a researcher in the US, uh, in UNC Charlotte, and she does a lot of work in this space. And so her research does seem to, and that of others, does seem to suggest that individuals with different uh, kind of ethnic backgrounds or different ethnic groups experience uniquely racialized body image kind of concerns and experiences. And so this is linked to the historical past of kind of objectification and marginalization 
linked with colonialism, white supremacy, patriarchy, all of these uh, kind of aspects. And we see in qualitative research and other research that these kind of narratives continue to influence people's uh, perceptions of body image and such that there can be sometimes internalized preferences for lighter skin versus darker skin among ethnic groups or kind of preferences for long or straight hair as opposed to their natural hair but like the concerns are thought to be kind of also uniquely racialized in that even this kind of idea of fat phobia uh, it's a very westernized notion that has racial connotations which are linked with the kind of white thin lean bodies being viewed as superior to larger darker bodies and so these kind of messaging kind of carries through in terms of experiences of body image in different ethnic groups and we do see in the research that women who experience more racial microaggressions and stress associated with their racial identity tend to experience more body image concerns well it sure is different from when i was a kid i'll tell you um i'm just thinking that uh when i was young Jane Mansfield and 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 Marilyn Monroe were the body types that that uh, women should strive to to be like, right? And if and if you were failing in some regard that way, you you were less than the the female ideal. Isn't that weird? The way things changed, right? I mean, it, it used to it was you used to have to have a bosom, you know, and and then. Twiggy came along and everything changed and and you couldn't have the bosom anymore. I think everything is so relative. Things change and we're so we're so fixed on that moment in time where this particular fashion speaks to me. And if if you're not that fashion, then, you know, you're less of a person. And that fashion fucking changes with the decades, with the generations, with it. And God help you if you're on the wrong side, I guess. Um that that's kind of what I'm hearing from y'all. I, I myself can't say that I've I've suffered from that in a in a big way. Although I can remember being a kid and my hair my hair got cut too short, I wouldn't go to school the next day because I was you know ashamed of the way I looked. And and so I think it again it's all relative. I, th- I think for some of us it's very hard. And you guys have spoken to that very well. Yeah. I would just want to throw in one more thing, which is that. The issue of body augmentation is new, right? It's not like plastic surgery is new, but the accessibility of it is new. Like everyone getting fillers like in their teens or whatever, that's very new. And what's, I would say, very connected to that is filters. Like I can just have like a day where I'm like, oh, I look, I look tired. I'm just like, which filter am I going to do? I want makeup on, but I don't know how to put on makeup. So what filter am I going to put on? This is a really complicated and I think really dangerous development and having this kind of idea that you could just like turn to surgery or injectables or whatever else to like quote unquote fix a problem to you know as you were just saying like fit a fashion that will be fleeting um, with your body is it's just a new thing that we have to deal with as as humans As I was working on this episode, an interview with Gwyneth Paltrow on a wellness podcast went viral. In it, she said she usually has bone broth for lunch. She also admitted that she was hooked up to an IV drip of vitamins during the interview. These might work for Gwyneth, but people online were concerned. 
That's because sometimes messaging aimed at health and wellness seems to be based on the concept that our bodies are wrong and need something to fix them, especially concerning weight. And that can be grating. The diet weight loss industry has kind of morphed into this wellness industry. So it is easy to see how these kind of these ideas around weight loss can be conflated with self-care. And I think what the kind of these met the messaging that you're referring to there is this kind of idea that you can engage in these lifestyle behaviors which are framed as self-care, but the goal is weight loss. And I think that when the goal is weight loss, that can be problematic because there's a difference between engaging in lifestyle behaviors to improve your health versus those that are kind of engaged in to achieve a certain appearance or to look a certain way or to achieve a certain weight. And so, again, it's the focus on the end goal of weight loss that can be problematic in how it's framed. It's echoing the same sentiments as the diet and the weight loss industry in that in framing weight loss as the goal, it's suggesting that there's something wrong with the body and that it has to be controlled or fixed. Um, and again, um, it's kind of, instead of being the punishing or the restriction, which was the traditional messaging coming from the diet and weight loss industry, it's now framed as self-care, but ultimately the goal and the messaging are the same, it's dressed up in a different way. And I suppose when we think about the research around positive body image, this is kind of, uh, a way that we relate to our bodies in that it's it involves self-care nurturing respect and um, but also moving away from diet uh, mentality weight loss goals um, and this is kind of the key aspect of kind of building a positive body image and a healthy uh, body image is kind of moving away from that focus on weight loss um, and so I think it can be helpful for people in terms of looking at self-care to think about behaviors that help nourish and kind of nurture their bodies, as opposed to focusing on behaviors that are aimed at kind of changing numbers on a scale. Often body image issues are thought of as something that women deal with, but I know that men also have a lot of pressure regarding how their bodies look. Does research indicate that that pressure is higher for one gender over the other? Well, I suppose historically appearance has been viewed as something that is more central to a woman's self-concept and self-worth. And throughout history, women tend to have been judged primarily based on their appearance, whereas men may have been judged for other attributes like wealth or status as opposed to just appearance. So this may be in part why we see a greater focus on female body image, but also it can be linked with kind of the advertising culture and um, around kind of, let's say, if we think of early advertising industry, kind of traditional media that was largely dominated by men in historical times and historical past. Um, and there was a tendency to kind of objectify women's bodies and view it from the male gaze. So again, these kind of factors may have contributed to a greater focus on appearance um, within women. Also historically, men weren't observed to exhibit eating disorders at the same level as women. Now, it was the, like we didn't have the correct measures to actually accurately uh, identify male body image concerns, which are distinct from women's body image concerns. So that's part of the issue. But also body image wasn't viewed 
uh, as an important aspect of males kind of self-worth or kind of identity. Um, but we do see a shift in that kind of perspective on male body image, particularly in the last 20 years. Um, and this has been coupled with quite a considerable increase in male eating disorders. So anorexia nervosa and muscle dysmorphia have kind of increased in men, as have kind of uh, body image concerns in general. And this has been in part linked with kind of the rise of the fitness industry and social media in that it's creating greater focus on male body image. But also there are other contributory factors. But a lot of research would suggest now that actually body image concerns in men and women may be kind of on similar levels, only that they're experienced in different ways by men and women. So, again, there are other research that suggests it's primarily a female issue. But again, the rates of body image concerns among men are thought to be on the rise. Um, but yeah, uh, I suppose thinking about male body image, there's quite a stigma still around it. Um, and that's can be kind of a limiting factor in terms of men seeking help and reaching out and getting the support they need for their body image concerns. And Jim, I'm also interested, I know that you've like been a reporter for rock and roll and the baby boom, I think there was a lot of change as far as people's perception of like what men could look like, you know, like David Bowie and the Beatles, they had like, they look so different than like the typical man from, from previous generations. So did you feel like that was kind of an exciting time to be like growing up and like you had more freedom or was it kind of a minefield to like pick what kind of guy to look like? Oh, I, absolutely. I loved it. I was I was into the rock and roll from the moment that uh, somebody had long hair. I'm I'm not cutting my hair anymore ever again. And and wow, I didn't for a long time. And that was such a badge in those days. Talk about body image. If you have there was a brief period of time in the 60s where if you had long hair and wore bell bottoms and had a paisley shirt, you were cool and you were honest and you were soulful and you were real and you could be trusted. Now, that all changed in about a day. But for a moment or two, we were like Joni Mitchell said, we were golden. We ah, we were privileged. And yeah, we, we sought to look different than our folks in a big way. More so, I think the, the change was more drastic than anything else I can recall. I mean, uh, we, we, we totally wanted to shed all of that stuff from the 50s. And uh, that included hair and dress and fashion and all that stuff. And it it was that's how you identified each other. Hey, there's a cool bro, man. Yeah. And if you weren't that way, if you were a jock, <laughs> uh, I didn't associate with you, you know, and you didn't have anything to do with me either. And then a couple of years later, you know, they, the jocks found out about weed and, and we found out about alcohol. And so then it was all cool. <laughs> For men in general, I think regardless of orientation or, or gender identity, I think that um, they're, I'd say this could be generational too, right? This this could be the part where I think perhaps it could be more prevalent for for millennials, Gen Z. But uh, you know, I know I know a lot of straight men who care about getting their eyebrows threaded and sort of like how, what that image looks like, and 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 they could be like the most you know a man's man, and and still really care about their body image in a way that 
that you know I don't see in like my parents' generation or 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 necessarily older men in the same way. And and I'm thinking perhaps that could be social media. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what that might look like, but I'd say even I think historically it was more so women identifying folks were you know body images is is key to that. But you know, I know a lot of 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 younger men who it's it's just as prevalent and 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 in that like it could be body dysmorphia whatever it might be i think could be real across the spectrum in a way that i see with younger you know whether it's gen z whether it's millennials that perhaps i don't see with my my dad's generation or my parents generation and um it, it just it shows up very different again in things that like you wouldn't associate like eyebrow threading or you know all that of course, social media has played a big role in how body issues manifest today, especially for younger generations. And this is a specific focus of your research. Can you explain how things are changing? So social media has had multiple different influences on how we think about body image. First off, it's been a platform that has allowed us to challenge the traditional and stereotypical body ideals that exist. And it's provided a platform to celebrate different types of bodies, body diversity, bodies that weren't traditionally celebrated or represented on traditional media. So it's been fantastic in that sense, in terms of encouraging us to have a greater appreciation of diverse bodies, but also to kind of facilitate that journey of self-appreciation and self-acceptance. And we see that with the body positive movement, which has been quite vocal on kind of areas and platforms such as social media, which have been encouraging us to challenge that kind of rhetoric that uh, we need to subscribe to a particular body type and encouraging us to have a greater appreciation, respect, love for one's body. So that's been great in terms of shifting narratives around body image. And also it's been a space where people have uh, can share their kind of experiences of body image in through communities, but also in terms of eating disorder recovery and these kind of spaces. Again, it can be inspiring and encouraging and motivating for people in terms of building better relationships with their body image. But I suppose we do have to consider social media has quite a, a, a strong influence in a negative sense on body image. Also, we see that body image concerns continue to be one of the top issues among young people. And since COVID-19, we've seen a considerable rise in body image concerns and eating disorders among young people, particularly adolescents. And part of that increase, uh, particularly around the COVID time, was related to increased use and time spent on social media. And again, uh, those links about uh, engaging in appearance focused platforms. And we know from the research that greater time spent on appearance focused platforms like Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, and also engaging in appearance-related behaviors. So these are things like viewing, posting, images, editing, commenting. All of these factors are associated with higher levels of body dissatisfaction among young people. And I suppose social media has changed the context in which we engage with and represent bodies. It's a very appearance-centric uh, space where we're bombarded often with these kind of idealized bodies, which can create a greater sense of body image pressure um, or appearance pressure, because again, it's something that's in our daily news feed and it's kind of constant yes um so i am of the age where tumblr was really big when i was in high school facebook was just starting to become cool but tumblr was the the alternative space and um, instagram hadn't started yet that didn't start until 2012 i think um so a lot of people on Tumblr would post 
photos of what later became called hot dog legs, which I don't necessarily think is nice, but, um, you know, the, the skinnier, the better. And now I've sort of seen, at least on my feed from the very, very, very few people I still follow from high school before and after photos of a weight transformation. These transformation photos didn't sit right with Nick. So they decided to address the situation in a very journalist way. And a couple months ago, I did a poll on my Instagram story asking whether people believed before and after photos of a major weight loss were harmful or helpful. And I asked them why. So I was just curious. I like to pick the brain of my friends. And it was almost 50-50 down the line, the poll results. And quite a few people um, voted. And it was just interesting to see. So my um, my one friend, on the other hand, has similar views that I do. I think they're kind of harmful because when I was younger in high school, I would always use the the before and after photos as inspiration, as what I could be, right? Knowing that I'm not five foot, I'm never I'm never going to look like that. I cannot be eighty pounds. Like it, there's just no way. I'm too tall. I'm too tall. Um, whereas a couple other of my, some of my other friends were saying, well, you know, like I lost, you know, a couple hundred pounds and seeing the before photo reminds me of how much hard work I put in and how proud I am of myself. And it's not necessarily about the weight loss. It's about targeting things like overeating and, um, not eating enough so that when you do finally eat, your body thinks it's in starvation mode. And it just holds on to all those calories. And I thought that was a really unique perspective too. And I had a few men answer as well. This goes back to the you know body dysmorphia part that we were just talking about. And some of my friends were absolutely ripped, probably, I don't know, maybe a pound of fat total on their entire body still say that they don't think they're muscly enough. So yeah, that, that was the results from the poll. Body image issues have been tough for generations, at least, and they're still tough. What can we do about it? Yeah, so I think NIDA would be the uh, National Eating Disorder Association that be in the U.S. So again, that's a great resource and can have some helpful kind of tips on how to manage body image. I'd also embrace, uh, recommend the Embrace Collective. So this is one of my colleagues in Australia who does a lot of work in the space of body image. Um, and again, they have podcasts, they have lots of resources. And this is even relevant for teachers or parents on how to support their young people if they're struggling with body image concerns as well. So um, those two are, are great resources um, for, for supporting body image. You know, um, something that has helped me is to, number one, talk to my therapist about it and be honest with her. She is amazing. Number two, journal about it and to be honest and kind to myself. A lot of, I've been a journaler since I was in second grade and I look back at my diaries and journals from high school and I was really cruel to myself, just heartbreakingly cruel. And another thing is I talk about it with my friends so they know exactly what's going on. And lastly, I buy clothes that fit me. I was just telling my partner earlier today, I had gained a little bit of weight since grad school started and I was feeling incredibly uncomfortable because I had maybe six outfits to wear. 
And that also made me feel self-conscious because I didn't have money to buy new clothes at the time. And I'm like, oh, well, people are going to think I'm poor, even though there's nothing embarrassing about being poor. It's a governmental, it's embarrassing for the government. But <laughs> um, yeah, buying clothes that fit. Because for years, I held on to clothes because I might fit into them again one day. Why? Why? I have a small closet. I don't even have a closet right now. I have a, a rack in the bedroom. I That is prime real estate. So why hold on to clothes that don't fit? I, again, it, it comes back to like mental and emotional health. I think a lot of it because, you know, I, I don't want to fit in aesthetically. And yet I really, really do. Right. And that's, I think, true for all of us. I think we're all kind of like sharing that. and. It's just really hard. And then once you feel like you've nailed it, your body changes because you grew older or you gained weight or you lost weight or whatever. Like it's never over. And um, unfortunately, there's always going to be someone or many someone's willing to sell us something to make it look better, feel better, change, whatevs. And it's just, it's scary. It's dangerous. And I think we need to be talking about it. And as much as we talk about it, I think we need to be talking about it more and in more ways. Thanks for listening to It's Generational. We'd also like to thank our panel guests, Jim Taylor, Jessica Lanyadu, Nick F. Anderson, and Harris Mojadidi for joining us, as well as our expert, Dr. Kira Mahan of the University College Dublin and the Irish Research Council. Our theme music is by Zaftra. Check out our other episodes featuring this panel covering substance use and news consumption. This episode was produced by Mallory Samara and me, Lauren Berry. Myron Kaplan is Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review. You can listen to It's Generational on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts.